I want to focus just on the, the end of verse 19 and verse 20 of that, of all that that we just read together. I still live in my body, but I live by faith in the Son of God. He is the one who loved me and gave himself to save me. Now, what I just read came from the easy-to-read version, and I love that version. We are going to use that for everything we're going to look at this morning, simply because I love the way that that verse is, is worded. I still live in my body, but I live by faith in the Son of God. He is the one who loved me and gave himself to save me. Now, let's look at what that means. Let's look at the word love. The, the New Testament talks an awful lot about love. The whole Bible does. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 44, Jesus said, But I tell you, love your enemies, pray for those who treat you badly. So right away, early in the Gospel of Matthew, he's talking about loving your enemies. This is a pretty hard teaching. In fact, we could probably just drop anchor here and stay here for the morning. We're not going to, but we could. Because this is, a, this is such a challenge, we still get a failing grade at this today. I don't mean our culture gets a failing grade at it. I mean Christianity gets a failing grade at it. How good are we, as individuals in this room, how good are you, how good am I, at loving my enemies? What a hard, hard teaching to consider. Pray for those who treat you badly. Not pray for something bad to happen to them, to teach them a lesson, but pray that God will bless those who treat you badly. Right away, early in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus is talking about love, and he's using it in this challenging, hands-on way, not in this easy way that we throw the word love around. Now, I love McDonald's. I, I, I love a certain TV show. I love that kind of music. But in this really hands-on, hard way, Loving your enemies. Matthew 22, verse 37. This is going to sound pretty familiar. Jesus answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. And he declared that this was a commandment. Love God with everything you have. We don't really always get a passing grade at this one, do we? I mean, God is worthy of love, and we do a great job of loving him with everything we have. Do we always love God with our money, or with our choices, or with our time, or with our thoughts? Matthew 22, verse 39, and the second command is like the first, love your neighbor the same as you love yourself. And then right after that, he went on to define neighbor as anybody you encounter. Anybody you see, anybody you hear, that is your neighbor. So love your neighbor the same as you love yourself. Just think of those people you disagree with politically. Those are your neighbors. Think of those people who disagree with you politically. Those are your neighbors. Think of those people who disagree with you politically and tell you how your thinking is all wrong to think the way you do. Those are your neighbors and you are supposed to love them. We don't do a great job with this one either, do we? I know I, I sure don't. Luke 7.47. And this was when the, the, the woman who had been caught in sexual sin as a, as a prostitute had been drugged into the street and she had been accused of this great sin. And these guys were ready to stone her, to end her life. And, and Jesus intervened 
And then later on, she came and she found him and she was washing his feet and she was weeping while she did this. And Jesus said, I tell you that her many sins are forgiven. This is clear because she showed great love. People who are forgiven only a little, a little will love only a little. So what he's saying is the more you are forgiven, the more you are going to love. Well, this is kind of hard, too. We like this idea of, of, of loving a lot, of somebody loving us a lot. But this is hard when we tie it to forgiveness. Because then that means we either need to be the people doing the forgiving, which means we can't hold on to those grudges that we love so much, or we need to recognize that we need to be forgiven. And that means we need to recognize our own sin, our own faults. People who are forgiven only a little will love only a little. John 3.16, you've heard this one, I know. Yes, God loved the world so much that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him would not be lost but have eternal life. God loves on this big, global, wide scale so much that he gave his only son in the name of that love. In the mission of that love, he allowed his son to be taken from him, to be sacrificed. John 13, 34, I give you a new command, love each other. You must love each other just as I loved you. That's Jesus saying, and again, what a hard teaching. Love one another. Okay, that's pretty easy. But you must love each other the way that Jesus has loved you. I'm supposed to love everybody the way Jesus loves me. Boy, that is hard. It's hard for me to do. It's hard for you to do. That goes against our, our human nature, doesn't it? 1 John chapter 4, verse 19, we love because God first loved us. We should love because God first loved us, but we don't always recognize that. We don't always get that. We don't always grasp that. We, we, we understand it, but sometimes we kind of keep it at arm's length out there, and we don't really want to interact with it because we're afraid it's going to ask a lot of us to bring it that close and to contemplate that. Well, we're going we're gonna to contemplate that this morning. Now, I brought a couple photos of, of our dog in here this morning, our dog Buckeye. Because when you adopt a dog, you should name it after a great football team. So we named our dog Buckeye. And we've got a couple of pictures up there. The widescreen makes her look a little wider and fatter than she really is. So forgive that. But the last picture of her, this is how our dog reacts when either one of us leaves the house. She waits by the door, heartbroken because we would leave her. But then when either one of us or both of us come back in the house, there is a celebration, bouncing off of furniture, running to get her toys and bring them and drop them at our feet, just running in, in circles around our legs. Good luck if you're coming in the house trying to carry something because she feels that if she doesn't try to trip you, you won't know how much she missed you and how much she loves you. And I'm sharing this because I think this is a... I'm certainly not comparing God to a dog, but I think this is a nice visual illustration of this is how much God loves us, and our dog reacts this way, and then with that celebration when we come home, if we leave and are gone for two weeks, she goes berserk when we get back. 
if we run to the grocery store and we are gone for 15 minutes, she goes berserk when we get back, just like she hasn't seen us for two weeks. If we go out into the yard and come back after a minute and a half, she goes berserk like she hasn't seen us for two weeks. That amount of love is constant and always, and that's, that's how God is with us. When you, when you get done praying, if 90 seconds later you need to talk to God, He is that excited to talk to you, God's not, not saying, Jenny, I just talked to you 90 seconds ago. Let me, let me go get a break and why don't you try praying later. He, he wants to talk to you so much, He'll talk to you after He just got done talking to you. He'll spend time with you. You can worship Him right after you just got done worshiping, which is kind of a good little mini-sermon. You don't need to wait till next Sunday to worship the Lord. But He is so excited to be with you that it doesn't matter how much time has passed. He loves you that much, and it never yields. It never changes. It doesn't fluctuate. It is always at... 100 percent and and i want to talk about the gift this morning that was again in in verse 20 i live by faith in the son of god he is the one who loved me and gave himself to save me that gift that he gave i want to talk about gifts this morning that's why i'm wearing a t-shirt i the past two weeks it has been very good to be mark because i have gotten three amazing gifts that i wasn't expecting that i wasn't asking for that i wasn't anticipating one of them was a couple weeks ago, uh, two weeks ago, I got this package in the mail. And I assumed that it was for my wife because all the packages that come to the house are for my wife. Only when she got home, she'll let me know well, it's got my name on it. And I opened it up, and it's Wooden Spoon Survivor. One of the young ladies in our youth group, about six months ago or more, I talked about my grandmother, who was pretty quick with a wooden spoon. And my mother was also no slouch with a wooden spoon. And, and I talked about that part of my childhood. And, and she saw this shirt, and she just said, that's, oh, that's Mark. And so she bought and sent this shirt, had it delivered to my house. And I'm like, that is so cool. I cherish this. This is amazing. I wasn't expecting this, but really, how cool. I'm just, as a preacher, I'm just kind of excited. I was up front talking, and somebody was listening. But then, just a little bit more than a week ago, I came in here to the church one day, and there's this gift bag with my name on it. And... Miss Jenny came across this candle that smells like bacon, and it does smell like bacon. My house can now smell like bacon without me having to go buy bacon and cook bacon. Now, they can also be a little bit of a disappointment when you smell bacon and then realize there's no bacon to eat. But, but how awesome is it? And Jenny just, I don't know where she got this, but she thought of me. I'm not sure why. Okay, that's a lie. I know why. But, but how great is that? And then the other thing, a, a week ago, out of the blue, I get this Facebook message from a young man I haven't talked to in a little more than 20 years. He was a teenager in a ministry that I used to participate in. And I hadn't thought of this in so long. He was, he was a very typical teenager. Reminds me a lot of Zach sitting in the, the back of the room there, uh, a young man that, that I love a lot. And we were, we were at Pizza Hut with a group of people, and, and, and this kid, just, he just loved to laugh and loved to have a good time. His name was Robbie, and he unscrewed the top of the, the, the pepper shaker, you know, the hot 
peppers when I wasn't looking. And so I went to sprinkle this all over like an entire pizza and I got hot pepper flakes all over an entire pizza. Well, I, I hadn't thought of this in 20 years. There's a very good chance that I probably just scraped most of them off and ate the whole pizza anyways. This hadn't really slowed me down. It hadn't really been a thing. But however, Robbie, for 20 years, has been feeling bad about that. And, and, and he messaged me a couple weeks ago, and he says, you might not even remember this, but I did something to you that I have felt bad about for 20 years. That's not the way I was raised. That's not the way I was brought up, and I have felt so bad. And I'm racking my mind trying to think, what did this kid do to me? I can't remember this. I only had great memories of this kid. And then he, he, he wanted my address, and he said he's going to send me something. And I gave him my address, and I was a little bit apprehensive, thinking, what, what is going to come in the mail? Only I open it up, and it's, it's a gift card to go to Pizza Hut. He's an adult now. I keep saying kid, and he's an adult. He's not that much younger than I am. So for the past two weeks, I mean, I got a, a shirt I wasn't expecting. My whole house can now smell like bacon, and then free pizza. I mean, it's a great time to be Mark as I think about these gifts. And, and that ties right into what I was planning to preach about. You guys have no way to know this, but this sermon was supposed to happen on June 14th. However, God is smarter than both of the pastors in this church put together. And when we got the sermon series in the wrong order, neither one of us caught it. Although the pastor did realize halfway through the sermon I was preaching, Wait a minute, I don't think he's supposed to be preaching that one yet. But by then it was too late. But this was supposed to happen two months ago. But God is smarter and he's got this plan and this just worked out. I want to look at this gift that God gave us. This is not a deep sermon this morning. Probably most things I preach you might not be able to consider too deep. But this is really, I'm just kind of getting the, getting the board set up. I'm just getting all the pieces on the board. That's what I'm doing this morning. So there's not a ton of depth to this, but I do want us to consider that gift that we got from God. And, and that was, was Jesus and what happened to him on the cross. And we know the Easter story, so I don't want to dwell on it. I just want to walk through it really quick. Jesus was arrested and he was put on trial. And it was a trial that was a show trial. They knew that they were going to convict him before the trial even started. Have you ever been the victim of any sort of unfairness? You ever find that emotionally frustrating? Jesus had to be emotionally frustrated. And they put him on trial, and they find him guilty, and guilty meant there was a death sentence, and it was an immediate death sentence. There weren't any lawyers. There weren't any appeals. He didn't sit on death row for, for a long time. Sentenced to death, and he's going to die that morning. So then they prepare him for crucifixion. Now, what they did was they physically hurt him. They beat him. Many people beat him with fists. Resulted most likely in some cracked teeth. Resulted in some cracked ribs. Bruises all up and down his torso and his legs and his arms. They kicked him. He's, he begins to bruise and, and, and his face begins to swell up. They grabbed fistfuls of his hair and his beard and they pulled them out. Did you ever like catch a hair like in a comb or a brush? Fistfuls of hair. They ripped from his beard. They ripped from his head. 
they whipped him with leather whips, and not just with a leather whip, but with a wide piece of leather that they embedded pieces of metal and pieces of wood in, so that when they, they, they whipped, it would cut, it would dig, it would hold onto his flesh. And then when they pulled it back, it would tear out pieces of his flesh. Chunks of flesh just ripped from his arms and his legs and his back. They put a crown of thorns on his head. They didn't make a crown of thorns and then gently place it on his head. They took that crown of thorns and they smashed it tight onto his head. They drove it down so that the the wounds and the injuries that it caused, the only way to take it off would have been to cause more injury and more wounds it would have dug in. If you've ever cut your head, you know, the, the skin is pulled pretty tight over your skull. A head wound bleeds a lot. So he is now bleeding all the way around his head, blood running down. More than likely, at least one of his eyes was swelling shut from the beating. Cracked teeth, cracked ribs, covered in bruises, covered in pain. And then they hand him a cross to carry. Now, we don't know whether they handed him his entire cross or just the cross beam. If, if he was lucky and it was just the cross beam, it would have weighed about 100 pounds after this severe beating. If it was the entire cross, it would have weighed about 300 pounds. So either way, it's an awful lot to carry. Now, he carried it almost a mile, like nine and a half tenths of a mile. That doesn't seem like a long way to walk unless you're carrying a 100-pound cross that you know in your heart that they are going to nail you to. So you are not looking forward to what's going to happen when you're done carrying it. And you're carrying it after this severe beating and all of this pain. He's, he's shuffling along and carrying this blood running into his eyes, at least one of which was probably swelling or swollen shut, maybe both of them. He can hardly see where he's going, and he's carrying this 100-pound cross nearly a mile. And when he gets there, they take the, the piece of cross that he was carrying, and they fit it to another piece. It had notches made in it, so it fits, and then they, they lash it together with the other piece, and then they lay him down on top of it on the ground. They lash his arms to it. And they take nails, and not like real little nails, but almost like great big nails that when you saw it, it would look like you'd think it was a spike, not a nail. And they nail, they drive these spikes through his hands, through the bones of his hand, so that it is, is attached to the cross, and he can't move his hands. Now, when it goes through the bone, it, of course, is breaking and shattering bone, but it holds his hand in place. And then they lash his arm in place so that he cannot move at all. So no matter how bad it hurts, he can't make any adjustments at all. Wherever his hand is, that's where it is, and that is how it is going to hurt. And then they do that to the other hand. And then they take an even longer spike, and they drive it through his feet, through both feet, again, smashing and breaking bones, and they go right through the bones so that he cannot move around, so that his feet are fastened to that cross. And the, the, the long piece of that cross, the long pole, is, is really long, a lot longer than we think when we look at a cross, because when we look at a cross, we, we think of something like that 
without realizing that there were six, eight, or ten feet that went down into the ground. They had dug a hole, and they had enforced that hole with wood, and they lift that cross up until it is right over the hole, and then they drop it. And he would fall down about 6 feet, 10 feet, 12 feet until the cross is in place. And, and part of it is so deep, just like a phone pole, so that it doesn't fall over. And when it, when it would fall in place, many people who were being crucified would die just as it fell in place. Because of the sheer amount of pain that would shoot through their entire body when it hits bottom. In fact, the way that they knew that somebody wasn't dead when it hit bottom is that they would cry out in agony because nobody could have that hit bottom and not make a sound unless it had killed them. Well, we know that Jesus didn't die in that moment, so he must have screamed in complete agony as it fell into place. Covered in blood, covered in bruises, in, in all of this pain. And we're talking about this because this, this, is, this is a gift that God has given us. And I want to dwell for a little bit upon the work that went into that gift. Because a lot of times when we get a gift, we don't think of the cost. The time spent shopping. The time spent wrapping it. The time spent seeking it out. We just sometimes get a gift and enjoy the gift and we don't think of what went into it. And this is what went into it. He's broken and he's bruised and he's in pain and he cries out in agony as it falls into place. And he says, Father, forgive them. Now, one meaning of this is forgive these guys that are doing this. They're, they're doing their job and, and, and they think this is a very likely a very legitimate execution that I've done something wrong and I deserve this. Father, forgive them. But I also wonder, when he says, Father, forgive them, if it hasn't flashed through his mind the incredible physical pain, what if he wonders if his body is not going to last much longer? He might be thinking, I am moments away from my physical body giving out, and I am going to die. And he cries out, Father, forgive them, because he's thinking of all of us. Because he was being put to death as a sacrifice for our sins. And he cries out, forgive them. Talk about being able to pray for your enemies. Talk about not holding a grudge. If I was going through this physical pain and they told me that it was for the sins of Fresh Start Fellowship or Keystone Heights or, or, or people that I know in Ohio, or just a bunch of people that I've never met. I don't know if I would scream about forgiving them in my anguish. I might be screaming about them, but it might not be nice. And he yells, forgive them. And then as this is happening, as he yells, Father, forgive them, they're casting lots for his clothes. And this, this isn't often depict, depicted in, in Christian pictures or church pictures or, or the way we view the, the crucifixion. But often, historically, when people were crucified, they were crucified completely naked. Just one more level of humiliation. So he's on this cross, broken and bloody and in agony and, and, and in humiliation. He's completely naked. And they're casting lots for his clothes. They're gambling for his clothes. Take a trophy home from the guy that we killed today. 
they took a sign and they, they held it over his head, King of the Jews, and they attached that sign to the cross. And I asked just a few minutes ago, have, have, you, ever been, have you ever been accused of something you didn't do? Have you ever been completely right and somebody who disagreed with you mocked you for it? Isn't that emotionally unsettling? Doesn't that make you just want to lash out at somebody? In this sign mocking his ministry, here's the king of the Jews. So as they continue to mock him and they've, they've cast lots for his clothes, they're gambling for his clothes, he is spending all of his energy just trying to breathe. Because many people who were crucified, they asphyxiated. That's how they would eventually die. Because of the pressure put on your lungs when your arms are pulled behind you and then up. So he's hanging on the cross and his arms are holding all of his weight and his lungs are screaming because he cannot take a breath. So he would have to push himself up with his legs and the only traction is that spike that is driven through the bones of his feet and push himself up so that he can draw a breath. And as he does that, he is able to, to breathe in and he is able to continue to breathe in and out until the pain in his feet and his legs becomes absolutely unbearable. And he can't hold up even one moment more. And he has to rest and let his arms take the weight again. And with his arms taking the weight, that is probably the most comfortable that he can be while this is happening, except that he cannot draw a breath. He can't inhale or exhale in that position. So then he has to just feel himself suffocate until he can push himself up again. And while he's doing that, while he is, is raising himself up and down, this is what we celebrate as believers when we celebrate communion. You can see we've got some of the elements there in front of you. We are going to take communion this morning. His body is literally broken. And you've heard the phrase, breaking bread. In Matthew chapter 26, I, I love this, this verse. While they were eating, Jesus took some bread and thanked God for it. He broke off some pieces, gave them to his followers, and said, Take this bread and eat it. It is my body. So if you want to start getting into the communion that's in front of you, uh, don't, don't take the wafer yet, but if you want to start getting the wafer out and just hold on to it for a second, when, when, when we do this, we are not following a commandment to eat bread together because he ate bread with his friends. We are not doing this to commemorate his ministry. We're not doing this to commemorate the fellowship that he had during this last meal. I should have warned everybody, go kind of slow or you'll end up spilling the grape juice on yourself. Uh, this is, that's the voice of experience preaching to you now. We are taking bread to commemorate his broken body. See, at that time, they literally had to break bread to have it. It didn't come from the, from the store in all these nice soft slices. It would be nice and soft and, and, and bread in the middle, but it often had such a hard crust that they had to break it. They had to break it apart with their hands. Sometimes they would even have to smash it on the edge of the table to make a break in it to get to the bread inside of this crust. 
And when, when he says, do this in memory of me, he's not talking about celebrate our meals together, celebrate our ministry. He is, is looking forward to what is going to happen to him on the cross. This is my body broken for you. We take this communion wafer to celebrate this gift of his broken body for us. Brother Tom, would you like to pray for us before we take this, this wafer? And in that broken body, he continues to hang on the cross. And hanging on the cross, there's a prisoner on each side of him that, have, that they have also been crucified. And one of them taunts him. If you really are God, fix this for all of us. And the other one kind of scolds that guy and says, look, you deserve to be hanging there. I deserve to be hanging here. He doesn't deserve this. And then he turns to Jesus and he begs him, remember me. Because this guy is absolutely certain that he is going to die before too many more hours pass. And he is absolutely certain that when he dies, he's not going to find favor with God because he knows he is guilty of whatever they have crucified him for. And so he is saying, hey, Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God. Will you remember me? Because very shortly I am going to be suffering for all of eternity. And will you put in a good word for me so that maybe I suffer just a little bit less? Maybe hell is just one degree less hot maybe it hurts just a little bit less and then jesus replies to him i promise you today you will be with me in paradise this guy who deserved an eternity in hell and jesus says don't worry because today you are going to be with me in paradise that thief is worshiping jesus right now in heaven someday we are going to get to worship jesus with that thief won't that be kind of cool today you will be with me in paradise it's one of the last things he says on the cross he also looks and he sees that his mother is there and he sees one of his apostles that he loved probably the apostle that that he was the closest to and he sees the two of them and you know this story when he says to his mom this guy, this apostle, this good friend of mine, he's going to take care of you now. And he says to the apostle, look, look at this woman. Look at my mother. Take her into your home as if she is your mother. Take care of her for the rest of her life. Right at the foot of the cross, in agony, he creates this new family. It, it, it gives me hope that I cannot describe to you as, as the, the student and family pastor here at this church, that the very way Jesus started his ministry was at a wedding, at the formation of a new family. And one of the very last things he did on earth was create a new family. Isn't that what the crucifixion does? Are we not family together? And most of us are not related by blood that are in this room. But we share our family, aren't we? Because we found each other at the foot of the cross. How significant and important is that? And we keep this, this, this love, this gift, we kind of keep it at arm's length. And, and, and we like to know it, and boy, we're, we'll, we'll sure sing about the crucifixion, but we don't like to contemplate it. 
because when we, when we stop keeping it at arm's length, when I stop keeping it at arm's length, then I have to consider that he was hanging on the cross for me and for my sins, not just the sins that I committed before I came to know who he was, but the sins that I've committed since then. As he hangs on the cross, he becomes very thirsty. His vital organs are beginning to shut down. Thirst is a, is a sign of, of your internal organs dying. He is, he is beyond dehydrated. And in his thirst, they offer him some wine. They take a sponge and they dip it in wine and they stick it on the end of a spear and they hold it up to get something to drink. And this almost sounds compassionate to us, but if you understand in the context of history the sponge that they used, what they used sponges for in the time of the crucifixion, that is what they cleaned themselves with when they were done using the bathroom. They offered him something to drink on used toilet paper. This was not an act of compassion. It was one more act of humiliation. Here, if you're thirsty, have some of this. It is about this time that Jesus cries out, Father, why have you forsaken me? He suddenly on the cross feels disconnected from God. See, this for his entire life, for his entire ministry, Jesus has always felt God's hand on him in a way that none of us can comprehend because we are not the Son of God. He always had God's hand on him. Everything he did, everywhere he went, everybody he talked to, he felt God's hand on him. And suddenly he cannot feel the presence of his father. Father, why have you forsaken me? God in that moment didn't become less powerful. God in that moment didn't decide that he loved him just a little bit less. God didn't get busy. In that moment, he couldn't feel the father because he was no longer just bearing himself, but he was on the cross, his broken body and spirit were carrying me and my sin. He was carrying your sins. The moment that my Savior needed his Father the most, he couldn't feel his Father because he was feeling the weight of my sin. As he gave his life for me as he took my sin as that punishment so that I don't ever have to feel that so that when I die I don't have to say my sin has permanently separated me from God he felt that separation for me so that when I die I get to stand in front of God and say hey I get to come into heaven because I am covered with the blood of Jesus because he took that for me what a great, great gift. Remember, God walked in the garden with, with Adam and Eve, but then once they sinned, they could hear him, but he didn't walk with them anymore. As part of God's character, he cannot physically be near sin. His son could no longer feel him because his son was now burdened with all of this sin. This is not something this concept of love for us to hold at arm's length. This is a real and tangible thing that he went through on the cross in the midst of sacrificing his life. He sacrificed his connection to the Father 
for me and for you. And then he cries out, it is finished. He doesn't just mean the crucifixion's finished. You guys can all go home. Work's almost done. It's over. He's talking about the sacrifice is finished. The separation from sinners and God. The separation that has always existed between God and all of us sinners. That is what is finished. And, and he dies. And the soldiers come along as it gets late in the afternoon and they would break the legs of the people on the cross and they would do this in order to hasten their death. Not out of mercy, just because they wanted to get done with their work for the day because they had more people to crucify tomorrow. Because when they would break the, the legs of the person being crucified, the person could no longer lift themselves up to breathe. So at that time, it was just a matter of moments until they would die. They broke the legs of the two thieves on either side of him but they didn't break his legs because he looked like he was already dead. And to prove to themselves that he was dead, this is the way culturally that they would prove that a person on the cross was dead. They would take a spear and they would ram it into the, to the stomach of the person who had been crucified so that, that intestines and stomach and, and, and organs would spill out and that would prove to them the person was dead. And they, they jam a spear into his side and scriptures tell us out comes blood and water. And when they took wine at the Last Supper, this wasn't Jesus saying, hey, hey, do this in memory of me. Have a nice cold drink with your friends to remember my ministry. Have something refreshing to remember the fellowship and the good times we had. He says, no, this wine is going to represent my blood that is going to be spilled as a way of permanently ending that separation between sinners and heaven. Pastor, would you pray for us as we get ready to celebrate his spilled blood? As I said, this was just me kind of getting all the pieces on the board for what we're going to talk about the next couple of weeks. I want us to recognize the amount of love that in these verses in Galatians, when it talks about the love that God had to sacrifice his son, how heavy and huge and big that was. And what a great gift and how much went into it. If you are here with us this morning and, and you do not know that you are spending eternity in heaven, I can't think of a better day and I can't think of a better place to put your hand up and say, I, I, I need some of that, I need to figure that out. But as I look around the room, I think most of us have made that choice. We've made that decision. So we haven't gone through this again just to fill up a Sunday. We've gone through this again because sharing our faith with others is so very important. And understanding it is how we're going to share it. To understand all that went into it is what really is going to make us appreciate it. Father, I pray that, that I've not been in the way this morning, that, that my enthusiasm for what 